The scripture reading today is from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, through chapter 12, verse 3. The reading can be found in the bulletin. Hear the word of the Lord. What more should I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better so that they would not, without us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we need your strength every day, not only not to lose heart, but to rejoice and be glad. So come to us through the songs that we sing, the prayers that we pray, through the word that we hear and the word that is proclaimed, and speak to us a powerful and a living word that your life, Lord Jesus, might be shared even with us. In your name we ask this. Amen. This morning we come to the end of our series of sermons in which we've been focusing on what we call the Beatitudes, the preface to Jesus' great sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount. This is an extended body of teaching of Jesus that we find in three chapters in Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And in the new year, I'll be continuing with much of that teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. But today we come to the end of the preface to that sermon 
that we call the Beatitudes, statements about happiness that Jesus makes. Often they begin with blessed, but I believe the better translation of the word makarios from the Greek is happiness, statements about happiness that Jesus makes that form the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And we come today to the statement in which Jesus makes the promise of happiness for those who are persecuted, who are persecuted, spoken badly about and reviled for Jesus' sake. In fact, one of the things that we've noticed as we've looked at the Beatitudes, and perhaps you picked up on this again as we use the Beatitudes as our affirmation of faith today, is that a number of the Beatitudes are counterintuitive. They don't seem to make much sense at all. Jesus promises happiness in the most unexpected of places for those who are poor in spirit, for those who, are, who, who mourn, for those who are meek. Jesus promises happiness for those kinds of people. And today's Beatitude fits right in with these counterintuitive statements and is perhaps the most counterintuitive, the strangest one of all. Happy, says Jesus, are those who are persecuted for the sake of what is right. For theirs, he says, is the kingdom of heaven. And he repeats and expands on this statement in the longest series of statements about any of these single beatitude statements. So let me read again. Happy are you when people revile and abuse you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice. Be glad. Not just about blessedness, it's about happiness. Be happy, be joyful, rejoice, be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The prophets to whom Jesus is referring are the religious leaders of ancient Israel. We heard a list of a number of those who suffered as we read our reading in the uh, 11th chapter of the letter to the Hebrews, but we might think as well about prophets like Elijah who lived around eight or 900 years before Jesus in the time of uh, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, two of the worst rulers of all of God's people. They were murderers, they were unjust, they were thieves, and uh, uh, Elijah had the goal to point this out to them, and he had to flee for his life. They wanted to kill him for speaking the truth about what was going on in the world, speaking truth, as we say, to power. And then the prophet Jeremiah, who was uh, living around 300 years after Elijah, he was accused of being a traitor to God's people. He said, you're going to be carried off into exile. And when you are carried off into exile under the authority of the empire of Babylon, you are to seek the welfare of the city to which I send you. One of the great quotes in the Old Testament, seek the welfare of the city to which I send you. But this is a secular city. This is a godless city. And some of the people to whom Jeremiah spoke in the name of God said, we can't do that. You're being a traitor to God. You're soft peddling God's word at this stage. If we ever join in with what these secular people do, Jeremiah said, no, play your part as salt and light, as Jesus would say, in the secular world to which I send you. And they hated him for it. And they threw him into a pit. And this is not a shallow pit. This is a deep, deep pit from which he could never escape by himself. He would escape with the help of another, but they left him there to die. And then there's Daniel, perhaps the most famous one of all. We remember from children's stories, thrown into a lion's den for praying. The king says, you pray to nobody but me. Daniel prays to God. 
and suffers as a consequence for it is persecuted because of that. So Jesus is looking back to the prophets of ancient Israel and says to his followers, chances are, if you follow me, you're going to have a rough time. Trouble may await you as well. And especially in the early days of the Christian church, persecution, outright persecution of followers of Jesus was common. In fact, one of the greatest promoters of the early church, the Apostle Paul, great missionary Paul, uh, describes his persecuted life like this. He had been a persecutor. Now he was persecuted himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he describes his life like this. I've had countless floggings. I've often been near death. Five times I've received from my own people, 40 lashes minus one. Three times beaten with rods. Once received a stoning and danger from my own people, from Gentiles, from false brothers and sisters, in toil, hardship, through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked. Becomes a follower of Jesus, and this, this is what happens to him. Maybe we should put an ad in the post or somewhere else. Become a follower of Jesus at National Presbyterian Church, and this is what will happen to you. We'll see what happens if people would respond to that. But that was the experience of many in the early Christian church. And in fact, by the time we get to the end of Paul's life, and probably this was part of the cause of the end of his life, we come to the rule of the emperor Nero, who explicitly persecuted Christians. Roman historian Tacitus was writing at the end of the first century, looking back to the years around AD 60 to 65 and the rule of the emperor Nero. And he writes this, it's the first recorded, or one of the earliest recorded uh, evidences of the life of Jesus outside of the Bible. And people ask me, is it only the Bible that speaks about Jesus? No, Tacitus is one of those who is not a Christian who speaks about him. And he speaks about Jesus, but he speaks about the early Christians and their suffering uh, like this. He says, no human effort, no princely largesse, nor offerings to the gods could make that infamous rumor that Nero had somehow ordered the great fire of Rome. Therefore, to abolish the rumor, Nero falsely accused and executed those people called Christians who were infamous for their abominations. The originator of the name Christ was executed as a criminal by the procurator Pontius Pilate during the reign of Tiberius. Jives with the uh, gospel accounts in the specific mention of uh, Pontius Pilate. They seized those who admitted their faith, and as they perished, they were made into sports. They were killed by dogs, by having the hides of beasts attached to them, or they were nailed to crosses, or they were set aflame, and when the daylight passed away, they were used as nighttime lamps. It's all pretty gruesome stuff. We may well say, well, that was way back then in a place far, far away, and so we dismiss such events and such persecutions as things that do not happen in our day and age. But the trouble, of course, is that they do happen and that we in the United States and in much of the Western world live in a bubble in which we have been safe for generation to generation, especially from the worst of persecution. But this kind of persecution does happen even to this day in the world in which we live. This past January, for example, a Christian organization by the name of Open Doors published its annual watch list on persecution, especially of Christians, some of it about general people of faith, but especially of Christians. And the British newspaper, The Guardian, which like Tacitus does not have a Christian axe to grind, quotes from this report as a reliable source. 
And part of the summary reads like this. Persecution of Christians around the world has increased during the COVID pandemic. More than 340 million Christians, one in eight, faces high levels of persecution and discrimination because of their faith. Now, not all of the news in the report is bad, and The Guardian says that in Sudan, for example, a new constitution guarantees freedom of religion no longer specifies Islam as the state religion. And in northern Iraq, Christians had been persecuted. In fact, my wife Curry and I met some of them when we were in Jordan a couple of years ago. But in northern Iraq, the report says Muslim volunteers have been rebuilding Christian churches so that some of their Christian neighbors can return to live with them again. But overall, the report says, there was a 60% increase in the number of Christians killed for their faith over the previous year. So this would be in 2020. The previous year would be 2019. More than nine out of 10 of the global total of 4,761 deaths uh, uh, were in Africa, mostly in Nigeria, where 3,800 Christians died. Thinking less about the deadly consequences of persecution and discrimination, the report says Christians in numerous countries in Africa and Asia have been refused COVID-related aid, at times by government officials, but more often by village heads or committees. And the Iraqi refugees we met in Jordan said that was the problem in their, in their lives, the local authorities rather than the, the higher up authorities. In China, the report says the government has increased surveillance with facial recognition systems installed in state-approved churches in some areas and online services, maybe ours too, being monitored. And then in India, foreign funding of Christian-run hospitals, schools, and church organizations has often recently been blocked by the Hindu nationalist government, fostered a climate of harassment, not only against Christians, of course, but especially because of the sizable number against Muslims as well. So this is the reality, not just in the past, but in the present as well. And as I said, we sort of live in a bubble. But Jesus says we can expect this, this kind of persecution, but not only full-blown persecution, but as he speaks in the Beatitudes, there's a whole array of things he says you might expect from persecution just down to annoyances and problems in life that we face simply because we're followers of Jesus. When you're abused, he says, and you're reviled as you will be, when people utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, this is when you need to turn your life back to me. And you may find that you have to do this sometimes just in your places of work, not excluded from work as they are in some places, but maybe it's hard to be a Christian in that environment or in our schools, whether we're students or whether we're teachers. Or even in the world of sports, it used to be that people paid attention to Christian uh, beliefs and scruples in that area, but mm, now not so much. Or maybe in our homes where we may find ourselves married to a spouse who doesn't share the same faith that we have. So Jesus in the Beatitudes speaks to the whole range of persecution to trouble and discrimination for being a Christian, just hard to be a follower of Jesus, no promise of a rose garden. And he says to all of us, he says, happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are you when people revile you and abuse you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice. Be glad. 
for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Be my follower. And trouble, trouble can be expected. But more than that, be my follower, and I promise you resources, says Jesus in these statements. I promise you resources so that even in the face of trouble, you can still be, be happy. You can still rejoice. You can still be glad. Rejoice and be glad. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. How in the world can we be happy at such times as these? Well, Jesus gives us three principles that we can put into action, that we can place deep within our souls as resources for troubled times that we face simply because we are followers of Jesus. The first is the security of our status. The security of our status, holding the right title as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The second is the, the, the comfort of good company and good companionship, being on the right team, not alone. We're with the prophets, says Jesus, and we're with Jesus himself when we pass through troubles. And then the third resource that Jesus gives us is the certain fact of our future. In a world in which we have no clue what the future is going to bring, Jesus says, I know that when you put your trust in me, you have a secure future. You belong to the author of time. And in time, God will lead you through this time into heaven in the future. So three resources, and I want us to think about them fairly quickly this morning. The first is the security of our status the security of our status, holding the right title as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Does that mean anything to you? Does that strengthen you in any, any way, or do you just kind of take that lightly? You say, okay, that's, that's nice. No, it's supposed to be a powerful resource within our lives. Jesus says, not that we are going to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven, though we will be in the future, nor that we might be citizens of the kingdom of heaven in the future, but he says, we are right here and now. You and I, by faith in Jesus Christ, by our allegiance to him, are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. A few weeks ago, I told you a story about the difficulty I once had of getting back into this country when I was on a student visa. Five years later, I received a green card, and I became a resident alien. Some people still think that I'm a bit of an alien right, right now, but... Um, especially my grandkids, but, but I had a green card and I was officially a resident alien and entry into the country became much easier then, but I was still never quite at ease until about 20 years later when I became a citizen of the United States. I renounced all other allegiances. It's a tough thing to do. Swore an oath of loyalty to the United States as my nation and the power of that moment was palpable. It was not a a promise in being a citizen of a trouble-free life. No promise ever given by anyone for that, but a definite sense of security, a definite sense of privilege to bear the title citizen, which I sometimes think that some people born in this country take for granted and don't understand the value of that title. Citizen of the United States of America for all our flaws, most amazing nation 
on the face of the earth. First-generation immigrants have always been willing to work interminable hours and at times to suffer simply for the privilege of having that secure status as citizens of the United States. How much greater the privilege implies our Lord Jesus. How much more should we feel power sustaining us when we renounce all other allegiances and affirm our devotion to the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords, to our Lord Jesus Christ, so we become citizens, not just of this nation, but of the, the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus gives to us as a free gift that we do not earn. The security of a status, no matter what trouble we go through, that is a foundation for our lives. And he gives it to us as a gift. And he says, this is part of the, the basis of your happiness when you go through trouble. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. And then second, very much related to this citizenship, is the community to which we belong. A kingdom is not only about a king, it's about a realm, it's about a community. And there is great comfort in knowing that we are part of the right team. There is great comfort in companionship and in company with others who are going through, well, the same kind of thing that we are going through. This is why Jesus mentions the persecution of the prophets who came before us. And the point that Jesus is making, and indeed the writer of the Hebrews is making in chapters 11 and 12 of Hebrews that we read a moment or two ago, it's not just that others have suffered more than we have, though that's part of it, but that we are part of a great company. And in fact, our suffering, far from telling us that we don't belong to God anymore and that God is far away, is actually a mark that we belong to the right team, that we are part of the right family. Listen again to Hebrews. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, surrounded we're in great company. There are the prophets who've gone before us, and then there are all the faithful Christians who have lived before as believers in God through Jesus Christ. He says, lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. Run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him even while you suffer, spend time considering him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. Keep your eye on your fellow team members, and Jesus is one of our fellow team members. Keep your eye on them and say, hey, I'm part of this crowd. That's a privilege to be a part of this crowd. I'm not alone, but I'm in good company. And good companionship and company and being on the right team is important, so important when we face trouble, as well as knowing that our status is secure, that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. All of these are important. And then added to that one more thing, one more resource, and that's a knowledge that in an uncertain world where the future is, well, beyond the grasp of any of us, that we live lives which are secure in God's future that God has for us that our God is the author of time, and he promises us now that we will be with him in heaven in the days ahead. However interminable now is, there is a future that God has for us. As Jesus 
Happy are you when people revile and abuse you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Good Friday seemed to be the end of things for Jesus, didn't it? Suffering, trouble, the end. The disciples lost heart. But the story of Jesus is to be our story as well. Good Friday is not the end. Easter follows Good Friday, just as heaven follows earth. And we are to hold this truth in our hearts and our minds whenever we go through any kind of trouble, that God has the days ahead in his grasp. And he will give them to us, sometimes in this life, but always in the life to come. Look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him, so you've got Good Friday, and the joy that is set before him is Easter. After his painful suffering, he endures the cross, disregards the same, and now, post-Easter, he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. God is the Lord of time. How important is that to you? When Jesus speaks in the Beatitude, teaches in the Beatitudes, time is an essential part of almost every one of them, the knowledge that God has our times in his hand. You can look in the bulletin and you can see this, but so many of the promises of Jesus related to our happiness are tied to the future. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When? Well, sometimes sooner than we think, but sometimes it's going to be a long time, but that comfort is coming. Happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. God blesses us abundantly so much now, but nothing compared to the future. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The merciful, for they will receive mercy. The pure in heart, for they will see God. The peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Much of this takes place now, but if you don't see it now, says Jesus, God still has the future in the palm of his hand. And then happy are you when you're persecuted or reviled or treated or spoken of badly for my sake. For there's an end in sight, a reward ahead that we can bank on in heaven. This is what Jesus teaches in these Beatitudes as we come to the end of the series. This sense that we have a certain future is built into so many of the Beatitudes, but it is a resource for us, a source of strength as it was for the early Christians. Whenever we face trouble, do you know this and believe this? The security of our time being in the hands of God. Do you have a sense of being part of a great community? Those you see and those you don't. We speak of the communion of saints. Every Sunday, whenever our affirmation of faith is the Apostles' Creed, we are not alone with others and with Jesus. Trouble is a part of their lot and ours too, but we are in good company find strength in that. And then our citizenship. Nothing and no one can take it away. A gift of God to us right here and now that we will see in all its fulfillment when we do get to heaven. But right here and now, he says to us, citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you can bear with far more than you know when you know what I have given to you. He has given us so many gifts. May we relish those gifts and find them empowering in our lives, no matter what God calls us to face, as his followers have discovered, some to this very day, 
but from generation to generation. Let us pray. Almighty God, we bow before you. Too easily we forget brothers and sisters who suffer greatly for you. Help us no matter where we are. And for some of us, our suffering is great too for your sake. Help us to know your peace, your joy, your gladness, and yes, your happiness in our souls. So may we be assured of your presence by your Holy Spirit. Amen.